hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Kids, do you like professional wrestling? Sometimes I do. This week, maybe ooh, not. This ooh, week, this uh, week, maybe not so much. Ah, uh, ooh. Uh, this one. Oh, everybody, everybody's getting my wrath this week. Uh, welcome to Shake Them Ropes. I am Jeff Hawkins. He is Chris Novembrino. I am here. You're here. You're present. You're I sober. Present. I, I, I caught a mild buzz after work, and okay. then I, I, I came home. I ate food. I composed myself. Oh, so like most normal people, you go out for yeah, a beer. Really, you come. <laughs> you know what? I really look up to me. Stop it. Stop right. it. Ah, uh, this week. Uh, I'm rest- doing a good job. <laughs> good job. Uh, this week, rest in peace, number one, uh, William Friedkin, director of The French Connection and the vastly underrated To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, and of course, The Exorcist. And The Exorcist, which I've never seen. Really? I, I actually got a chance to meet William Friedkin at a showing of The I Exorcist. need to hear about this, because that man interests, because he seems to me to be kind of like me in some ways, not living with a filter, but he does it far more... Uh, in far more public situations than I do. I live without a filter in private, but in public, I tend to be very uh, compromised and stuff like that. How did that go? Um, I mean, honestly, he was like more like happy to be there. Happy old man sort of. Ah, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, and he had handler type of people who were like, you know, we, I just remember them going like, we got freaking William freaking here. And like, that was like the, the joke or whatever that night. Uh, all the cop tropes come from to live and die in LA. If you, if, if you watch and go, man, this seems tropey. It's like, well, that's because that's where they stole them all from uh, right there. And uh, also rest in peace to Robbie Robertson, uh, main sing songwriter for the band. Um, I had an interesting way to get into his music. Uh, Chris, I will let you start. Do you have strong thoughts on Robbie Robertson or the band? Um, I mean, other than I have played the weight live yes. numerous times in my career, not particularly, no. Have you seen The Last Waltz? Uh, years ago, but not recently. Okay, because a lot coming from that colored my view of the band and Robbie Robertson because I come from team Levon Helm who thought that Robbie Robertson basically set up that whole thing uh, to, and eventually set up the destruction of the band. And it has taken me decades now 
to realize that the band was pretty much done by the time the last waltz came around. Uh, both Rick Danko and and um, Richard Manuel uh, had uh, vast substance abuse issues, and they weren't doing a lot of songwriting for the band at that point. It was mostly Robbie Robertson. And it, it's so weird because his legacy is, oh, yeah, Robbie Robertson, the real guy in, you know, the the band he's the guy behind that and he, i never thought of it that way because i always thought he was like because he never sang any of his songs for the most part i always thought he was like the fourth guy in the band and he and you watch the last waltz and it's almost like i, I won't put it as on par with the heel turn by glenn fry and history of the eagles that documentary but it's close because he's to me he's playing up a lot for the camera about how, how you know how unhappy he he was in the band and how it was re- you know ready to move on. And basically, him and Martin Scorsese bonded over cocaine, and Robbie Robertson wanted a film career, so he got a job. He got an office at MGM, I think, at, at one point, and you know he he acted in a, in a film that he he was developing based on his life. He is a fascinating dude. He uh, uh Canadian, um, uh Native American, uh actor uh did film scores for a lot of scorsese's movies but if you if you listen to the band um a lot of his songs are almost i mean they're brilliant but they're almost cosplay at times like he's he's like the night they drove old dixie down is you know about a post-confederate soldier returning home in virginia you know uh Rocking Chair is about you know, old sailors from Hampton Roads, which is where I grew up. He's talking about being, you know, a union uh, farmer in Pennsylvania in the in the Great Harvest. Uh, it's like it's almost like he in in his twenties he just got this. Uh, hearing my own life sung back at me. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's a twenty-something year old kid from uh, Carney. He's a literal Carney. He grew up in a carnival. Uh, and he's writing these like uh, Appalachian sounds and stuff like that. And then by 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 luck, I mean, they become Ronnie Hawkins backup band. And then by even more luck, they become Bob Dylan's band when he decides to go electric and Levon Helm gets so ticked getting called a sellout. He quits and he joins an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> But my and I never, you know, I never really appreciated the band until much later in my life. But Robbie Robertson, I I got into uh, number one because of his song Broken Arrow and the remake by Rod Stewart, of all things, which is just, you know, it, it's it's adult contemporary claptrap. But uh, his his second solo album, Storyville, is a personal favorite of mine. And that's really and then I went backwards into liking the band. And uh, Bruce Hornsby was a part of that. And Bruce Hornsby was from Williamsburg, Virginia. And I ran into Hornsby summer of 92 when that uh, album came out. My brother and a bunch of his friends went out to eat and I went with them at a deli and Bruce Hornsby was there. It's like, I got to talk to you about this Robbie Robertson album, even though I'm not the biggest Robbie Robertson fan in the world. But um, yeah, uh, (laughs) I've rambled on long enough. Uh, the band, the uh, the eponymous second album of theirs, uh, just it's brilliant. I li- was listening to it this afternoon. It, it's absolutely, um, it, it it's one of the greatest albums in rock and uh, in modern parlance. If you look at the cover, the Black Crows absolutely stole that cover to do their second album, uh, Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. So, uh, yeah, go back give uh, give old Robbie Robertson maybe some of his film scores from like The Color of Money. 
or uh, Casino or other movies he scored for Scorsese. Give those a listen. But yeah, rest in peace to uh, Robbie Robertson and William Friedkin. And now on to the news. Uh, I'll start with some actually uplifting news. Tony Khan announced that next week, uh, due to the fires going on in Hawaii, uh, next week will be Fight for the Fallen and all proceeds from all three programs, uh, Dynamite, Collision, and Rampage, just in case you all didn't know, uh, will be going to the uh, food bank of Maui out there. So uh, give and give generously. And if you are a listener in the Hawaii area, you are in our prayers. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing with like fires, especially when they break out, it, it, they are so hard to contain. They always do way more damage than uh, than you can anticipate. Uh, I support fire safety, Jeff. <laughs> goodness uh, oh, oh now you're against fire safety well, okay yeah. uh, jeff in his pro pyromania stances once again rear their ugly head on this show that's supposed to be free of societal commentary I, I am somewhat obsessed with fire but uh, uh, i know i know i know <laughs> uh the, the the click <laughs> thank you beavis uh the clickbait headline was triple h no longer on the board of directors of, of WWE, but in reality, what has happened is that due to the Endeavor UFC WWE merger, which is expected to close mid to late September, uh, they have announced the board of directors and Triple H is uh, missing from there. The new board of directors is uh, six people selected by Endeavor and five by WWE. The Endeavor selections, and I'll tell you why I'm reading their ages in a second. Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel, 62. Uh, Endeavor President Mark Shapiro, 53. Silver Lake's co-CEO Egon Durbin, 49. New England Patriots and Kraft Group President Jonathan Kraft, 59. Reach Resilient Presidents and CEO Sonia Medina, 47. Open Door Technology CEO Kerry Wheeler, 51. On the WWE, like people who are passionate about wrestling. Well, no, no, no. This is well. This is the combined UFC Endeavor WWE thing. Yeah. On the WWE side, Vince McMahon seventy-seven, Nick Khan forty-eight, Atlanta Hawks State Farm Arena CEO Steve Coonan sixty-six. He was already on the board of directors. Someone who is not on the board of directors, Eco Chief Media Officer and Executive Chairperson Nancy Tellum seventy. And a player to be named later. Now, while while it's interesting that Triple H isn't on there, to me, that player to be named later is interesting. And they may hold off on that because I am now staring at Nick Khan. And the age discrepancy between him and the other members that WWE, presumably Vince McMahon, picked. For you that kind side of the love how he manages to stay in the room. Like, I know nothing about this man, but I sort of have a deep admiration with how this man has managed to keep his claws in the room. Well, that's what I'm going to get to. I would not be shocked in the least if, as soon as this merger goes through, you're younger. I'm not going to call them young because, you know, it's rare that you get very young people on a board of directors, especially of a company of this size. But you got 47-year-old Sonia Medina. You got 51-year-old Carrie Wheeler. You got a couple guys in their early 50s, late 40s, much like Nick Khan. You have Vince McMahon, who is being investigated by the feds. It would not shock me 
if sooner than later these guys just vote Vince McMahon out. Mm. Now that the merger is closed. And the reason I'm looking at Nick Khan about this, because of interest as well, Vince McMahon did not put uh, Michelle Wilson or George Berrios on this board. And those are two loyalists of Vince McMahon. No, so no, this right. sounds like Nick Khan had a little bit to do with who was on there. Well, then let me ask you a question, Jeff. Okay. Whatever happened to a little thing called innocent until proven guilty? <laughs> well, there is also such a thing as, well, just cut bait at some point. Um, oh, could... oh, you're trying to tell me that Vince McMahon <laughs> is a person who, who, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know how to finish this sentence. It it boggles the mind. Is not an upstanding man of moral yeah. character. But yeah, whatever it is, huh. whatever it is you're trying to say, um, it, I find that distressing. It would not shock me if this person is kept open until after the merger, and then Triple H and Stephanie are both announced as board members of this new endeavor. And Triple H comes in with the steel chair and hits McMahon <laughs> upside the head. No pun intended. Uh. It would also not shock me if if Nick Khan just decides, all right, no McMahon's in power whatsoever. I'm going to make these choices. They fire Vince anyways, and he just makes two decisions on his own, or Ari Emanuel does. Uh, Nick Khan comes from the Endeavor, uh, the talent agency side of all this. I could see him playing the long game here. Now, that doesn't mean I'm, that necessarily that, that Triple H is gone completely, I could possibly see that also, but I don't think they're going to. They just had one of their most successful years ever, and he's been one of the guys behind it. I think you keep Triple H, but I am not going to. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that this time next year that there's a possibility that there's nobody in the McMahon family involved in WWE. That would be really interesting. That that would be some interesting palace intrigue. And uh, let me just say, so far, uh, th- this new regime of Endeavor taking over WWE has made some just wonderful television. I, I look forward <laughs> to seeing what the Endeavor team dreams up for us here in 2024. Hey, NXT um, won its night <laughs> for the first time I, ever, I think. You know, and... The Machiavellian in me says kudos to you for winning uh, at whatever cost, but the uh, the aesthetic in me says I would like to watch good wrestling at some point again. Well, expect cost-cutting measures to start imminently, and layoffs are expected. Oh, those poor pencil pushers in that Titan Tower. Uh <laughs> I think they just keep everything in a box, and they just wait occasionally. It must it must be like being uh, administration in a big law firm. I do. No, I, I legitimately feel bad for I do too. people in the org chart who are between 59 and like 64 who are just trying to get to the finish line here yeah. and hang on. These last several years as they are approaching retirement have had to have been absolute hell. And uh, I think it's actually pretty nauseating that this company has been just absolutely fine with uh, doing people dirty time and again, uh, many times as they approach the finish line. Shockingly enough, the the announcing changes that happened this week are not a Vince McMahon call. 
Uh, Michael Cole and Wade Barrett, the SmackDown team is now hosting Raw. Kevin Patrick and Corey Graves are moving to SmackDown with Cole doing play-by-play on both shows. Hmm. It's, it's a real shocker because Kevin Patrick <laughs> has captured the hearts and minds of Americans <laughs> over these last several months with his dynamic approach to wrestling commentary. I, I think we have really gotten attached to him. And so to see him sort of downcycled is is a shocking development. Corey Graves was doing play-by-play and color at the same time. Uh, Kevin Patrick. Oh, there oh and the insinuation there is that Kevin Patrick is not very good, I guess. Uh, he's not great. He's not, uh, I mean, he, he's a fine announcer. I think, I actually like well, Kevin Patrick feel, as a... Feel free to hold the, the minority opinion on this, but for oh, me, God. he's uh, the most dynamic play-by-play <laughs> guy that we have had since Bob Cottle. Oh, yeah, Bob Cottle was... No, you, you got Bob Cottle. I love Bob right Cottle. Underneath but him, you, got, you got Kevin Patrick, you... then underneath him, Tony Schiavone. That's Why? that's my big three, if, if I was going to make a Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Right now. Why are you trolling me on my love of Bob Cottle, who is still with us in his 90s? How dare you? Yeah, all right. Uh, Get him back on the call. I'm here for that. I want Bob Cottle, you know? You give me me a Cottle Patrick booth, uh, you got a happy no. (laughs) Cottle Patrick. Kevin Patrick would be as bad as Johnny Miller, now that I think about it, or Johnny Weaver. Johnny Miller's golf. Johnny Weaver was the guy that Cottle was doing mid-Atlantic with, and Johnny Weaver was dreadful. Okay, I'll take AI Lance Russell. Um, oh God, Chris, you've thrown me off this is my game so much right now. I was going to say nice things about Kevin Patrick, and then you, and then you blasphemed the name of Bob Cottle in my ear, thinking that you were slagging on him. him. I was not slagging him. Oh, I love me some Bob Cottle, but uh, I think Kevin Patrick is a great backstage guy. I think he's he never a great should have had this role. Like, I mean, talk guy. He was totally fine as the, uh, particularly as the backstage sort of torpy interviewer who the wrestlers could be, like the nice wrestlers could be nice to, but the yes. mean wrestlers could be mean to, and you could garner sympathy off of him. Like that was the perfect role for the guy. Yes. And then inexplicably, he got promoted to head commentator on Raw. And he just never at any point has demonstrated the capacity to carry this show, which admittedly is going through a lot of flux right now. You've got lots of people in your ear. It's a tough job, but I basically think that nobody other than Michael Cole can steer the ship as this company's in such dynamic flux. Uh, This is not a company that can support a peak Jim Ross, like circa the nineties or anything right now. So it it felt like a a bad call. It should have been Cole. Yeah. Well, it felt like, well, Cole, I think, was basically producing him the entire, or, or Triple H was. It, it felt like a guy who was not steering his own ship. It felt like a guy who was waiting for directions through the headset on how to how to proceed, as opposed to having a natural flow. And or I, I think- guess like Graves call Raw. Like I mean, like that's your other option if you want to give Cole Mondays off. I, I at this point, I would just. Make Corey Graves sort of the vanilla announcer. And then, I, I mean, honestly, I think the better formula would be Graves does the play-by-play and you just have different wrestlers come in and do color uh, to kind of amplify the segments. I, you know, I don't mind Corey Graves all that much. I, I actually like when Corey Graves heals it up a bit because I think he actually does a good job of it. I, I, I would just love something other than the straight-laced 
commentary team, to be honest with you. Give me a little rock. I mean, I always liked McAfee because McAfee oh, was such a was, wild, yeah. was a wild card on commentary because you never knew what he was going to say. And I liked that sense of danger. But that only works when you have a guy like Michael Cole, who is Mr. Professional, that you could steer into that. Vic Joseph oh, would you, be fine Are you trying here. to tell me that, that – well, Vic Joseph would be good, but you're trying to yes. tell me that Kevin Patrick couldn't steer the ship with Pat McAfee. Come on now. Um, no, but but on a serious oh. note here. Uh, no, he, I'm, so, I'm sorry. This help. has been a tedious experiment that I have had to watch and endure <laughs> for months. So, yes, I'm going to shit on it for a minute. Thank you very much. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, you know, yeah we'll, no, we'll get to I'm, tedious when we get to SummerSlam. So. Yes, no, and, and apparently people think that I only hate one company. But, no, like I, I have found this to be beyond <laughs> dull. Um, I like it, it, <laughs> no, the man's not incompetent. He's just shit at the role. He has been. It's been. It's been hard to watch. And the way this company is structured right now, are you all happy yet? Uh, it is basically such that uh, Michael Cole or Corey Graves are the only two people who could do play-by-play for this company, with maybe the exception of Vic Joseph. I guess you could give Tom Phillips a call and see what he's up to these days. Oh, he's impact. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess you shouldn't give him a call right now. (laughs) Uh, So there you go. Uh, So I would just give one of those three people a call and run with that. Uh, Biggie this week said that specialists have advised him never to wrestle again, and he's not sure what he is going to do, but does want to live a pain-free life. He has expressed interest in being an announcer. Uh, Put him, no, straight up, Biggie and Graves calling Raw would would actually be that would be palatable. I am sorry they would they would keep each other on track enough in terms of calling the match that I think it would be good. Oh, the the chances that they just undercut the product the entire time though. <laughs> I, I'm fine with that. You know what? Because the product's mid. Yeah, so like, okay. it, give me something to watch. All right. No, that's that's very true. Uh Bobby Roode uh was a producer on SummerSlam. Nick Aldis brought in for a producer tryout at the August 7th show in Minneapolis. They will not use Nick Aldis as a talent. And I think that's a shame. Uh, not that he's a great wrestler, but he is a great presence. See, LA. Yeah, right. I, I know, I know. Um, I, I think that he does. He's a great faction leader type of guy. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it, he absolutely works as a mid-card intercontinental like like what you've got gunther and imperium doing yeah. nick Aldis would be a perfect sl- like not saying like he is gunther too i'm just saying like he can kind of do that role just as well uh Kyrie sane rumored to be starting back with wwe in november anything on that um this women's division uh, still has not been particularly uh, great for booking women who don't speak English particularly well. And Very I don't know that Kyrie Sane's second run is going to be much different than her first. Papa H might take care of her, though. I mean, Asuka doesn't need English, but she's also just, it's just go out there and do something crazy. Asuka. Okay. Um. Uh, you can say Asuka doesn't need English, but I think we can all agree that with better presentation, Asuka yes. would make a star. Oh, yeah. No, Asuka should be just an absolute killer out there. And they got her doing weird clown stuff. Uh, Thunder Rosa having a five minute rehab match uh, 
this weekend, I believe, or it was on the Rampage taping. Like, or no, it's at the Collision taping tomorrow. She's going to have a five minute not on TV uh, rehab match. I think that's a positive. Yeah, I think it's a positive. Uh, seems to be for her. The issue is just clashing with people backstage. Uh, this, you know, I mean. Bring the- Lufisto in as her partner. We'll be fine. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, like that, that's, uh, that unfortunately seems to be the story that follows her around uh, over the years here now. That's true. Uh, Sonya Deville tore her ACL. See what happens with the WWE women's tag champions. Man, that's, I feel, I feel really bad for her on this. Like, so I mean, obviously, obviously the Chelsea Green, Sonya Deville tag team was not built to be like, mega pushed but there is always the potential that it gets a little it could have gotten a little bit of traction that they start finding characters uh between and synergy between the both of them they both have personality and that they do right right exactly i i think like uh kind of like think like the iconics but like a little bit uh more put together in the ring no knock on peyton but like you, you know what i mean uh, AJ Mendez noted that she is no longer with Women of Wrestling. She was executive producer and did other television work with the group in season one. She's actually right now guest starring on season two of uh, Heels over on the Stars channel. But uh, I'd be interested if somebody else eventually picks her up as a producer or a writer or someone in creative. Uh, and uh, new champs this week as seen on SummerSlam. EO Sky, your new uh, SmackDown Women's Champion and Rey Mysterio on tonight's SmackDown. Your new United States Champion after taking over for a injured Santos Escobar and beating Austin Theory. Mm. Mm. Uh, I don't like that move. I kind of do only because I think now Dominic needs to come in and beat Ray for that belt too. My thinking was you can elevate Santos or this would be the LA Knight belt where he could be i think they're gonna have him beat ray and i would much rather he beat theory but that's no i'd rather have him beat dominic are you kidding me like the uh, the money the money match here is (laughs) is la knight and dominic mysterious yes yes it absolutely is dominic comes in dominic comes in he beats the shit out of Rey Mysterio. He gets the U.S. belt. Now Dominic's like, I'm like Dommy two belts or whatever. And like, you know, Rhea and Dom are crowing. Out comes L.A. Knight. And he's had enough. He's seen plenty. He's tired of this little punk. And he's going to put him in his place. And like L.A. Knight eventually beats Dominic, gets the two belts sort of gimmick. Like, I, I mean, it's a great way to elevate. It's a great way to off-ramp Dominic from this mid-card push, which, like, let's be real, he can't actually carry long-form matches yet, so, like, you need to have a graceful off-ramp that, like, relies on narrative, and it's a great way to elevate L.A. Knight. That concludes the news, and now to the airing of grievances this week that will be known as the Lazy River of Wrestling Criticism. Whatever we watch, whatever's on our mind, we're gonna say it here, and uh, I I am fit to be tied because I am ready to rumble, starting with Ice Cold Takes on SummerSlam. Shall I, Chris? Go for it, Jeffrey. Thank you. Um, I liked Logan Paul versus Ricochet. I thought that was a lot of fun. I liked Gunther versus uh, Drew McIntyre. I thought that was fun. 
And I think that's about it. Because I think the rest was just an overbooked slog to get through. There were things that made me angry on this pay-per-view that I can't believe made me angry because they're so stupid and they're so overbooked and they're so WWE. They belonged mostly on a Raw. Take, for example, Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes. So during the course of this match, Cody gets a top turnbuckle pad taken off. He takes it off pretty much, throws it away. Brock Lesnar ends up being the victim of this thing, which leads to three crossroads in a row. So Brock gets screwed in some ways out of beating Cody Rhodes, a match he was dominating until he hit that missing turnbuckle. And then he proceeds in the post-match to go good game. Now, I know I've heard this wasn't WWE's idea that this was something that Brock improvised on his own. But it makes no damn sense that Brock Lesnar, the ultimate competitor, the ultimate beast. And ah, probably the hitman for Paul Heyman. (laughs) Oh, good game, Cody. I didn't get screwed out of that match. Oh, you beat me fair and square. He didn't. The whole initial betrayal was premised around protecting the Bloodlines tag team titles. And it has always looked like or has been sort of implied loosely that Heyman and Lesnar have been in cahoots at various points or in contact at various points. And I think... And it was dropped. It was absolutely dropped. It was absolutely dropped, and Lesnar needed to be looking up at the lights at the end of this. Uh, This whole he he did in some ways, but it wasn't clean. That's the problem for me, right? But Jeff, here's the thing: this is a baseball game, and we are only in the third (laughs) inning. Oh no, no, my bloodline hate will be coming. And and actually, you know, an interesting thing I have learned about baseball games is that sometimes. All of the interesting stuff in the baseball game, actually, you might not believe this, actually just happens in the first and second inning, and then the other seven innings are pretty rudimentary. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, sometimes. Um, I mean, sometimes sometimes other things happen, but uh, you won't believe it. A lot of these baseball games, Jeff. I don't like baseball. Uh, I, I know. <laughs> I, it's kind of long, but uh, a lot of, and part of the reason is you're watching six innings of nothing. Finn versus Seth. Let's just, uh, here's, here's Damian Priest. Here's the briefcase. Here's the stuff we've been seeing on Raw week after week after week. The women's three-way was a mess for a while and should have just been a one-on-one. I liked the cash-in. Don't get me wrong. EO Sky winning. Although they still, we have very, we have never yet captured what is the process of cashing in this briefcase. Because there are some times where the opponent has to be ready to go and on his feet to start the match. And there are other times where they could be laying knocked out (laughs) by the briefcase to then start the match, hit one move, one, two, three. Um, It it was weird because, I mean, Asuka and and Bianca were having a decent match. Charlotte, Charlotte had a bad night. Let's put it that way. Um, she tried a few things. Uh, they weren't uh, the ring rust was showing in Charlotte, and then we get to the bloodline, and this is what really pissed me off. And t- 
tonight's SmackDown did nothing to help. Uh, I don't think you've had a chance to watch it. I only watched the last segment, the Bloodline segment, to see how they explain the preposterousness, the absolute dumbness, if you will. I'm trying not to cuss, but you've already dropped a few. But um, Jimmy Uso in a hood stops Jay from winning the match. Are you kidding me? What was the entire point of getting those two away from the bloodline and together and brothers and we came in this world together, blah, blah, blah. For Jimmy to then at the moment of truth decide, nah, don't want my brother to actually end this whole thing. And because, become champion. And, and become, become champion. Yes. Yes. It's, and to stop. It's even dumber than that. Oh, the, oh, oh it gets dumber. It's oh, mind-numbing. You, you think you think we've hit dumbness. I am about to take you even further, my friend. Uh, because it was speculated that 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 the reason that would be said in storyline was that Jimmy was jealous of everybody calling him main event J. And that was a stupid reason. And I go, if they do that, that is a stupid reason. But no, they defied my expectations on this one as, as someone who, who who has been a story writer and stuff like that. Chris, no, 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 no. Sometime during the course of this match, presumably beforehand when he dressed up in a hood to hide amongst the technical people in WWE, Jimmy decided that he couldn't let Jey Uso win because the power of the title and the power of being the tribal chief would corrupt him into becoming the tribal chief, which is a far better choice than stopping him from becoming corrupted and the tribal chief. No, no, no. He did it because he loved his brother. And he apologizes and he walks off as Roman decides to attack Jay because Jay comes out as soon as he's as soon as Roman offers to make him main event Jimmy Uso. Jay Uso comes out, takes care of Roman, takes care of Solo, calls Jimmy back, give him a hug after J- after Jimmy's been so good, and thankfully super kicks Jimmy. But then decides, you know what? I'm not only out of the bloodline. I'm quitting WWE. <laughs> I'm out of here. Deuces. Leaves through the crowd. That is the next inning of this baseball game, Chris. It's that Jimmy has now screwed Jay <laughs> at the <laughs> in a match where Roman was taking 90% of this match and nobody believed Jey Uso was going to win. And out of a brother's love, here's an idea, Jimmy. If you're so concerned with power turning Jay mad, how about you tell him not to take the match before he signs the contract or before he gets to the building or when he gets to the building or before he goes to the ring? Nuh-uh. 
He decides. Or tell him to win the belt, but put the beads down like the, yes. the ring from Lord of the Rings. No, that was your idea, I think. You want, or, or actually, no, you want to find a way for him to become head of the table without winning the title. Right, yeah. Those would have been interesting, away. too. You are exactly correct. All of these things are far, far more interesting than the contrived, you know, I was really worried that you'd go mad with power, so I decided to screw up the biggest night of your life. Oh, my God. Please talk about this, Chris, because I can't comprehend it. I This storyline has absolutely no direction, no characterization. I have turned I, heel well, on the bloodline. Oh, I have I to. No, I, I, I'm completely, I'm completely out now. Where I, I, it was hard. Like building to the Robin J match was tough because in my head when I think about this storyline and trying to maximize and make it make the most sense, it really began with main event Jay Uso and the betrayal of main event Jay Uso. And especially since you have now downcycled, let's call it what it is, Cody Rhodes. Uh, this needs to, in my mind, the only off ramp here is Jay does win the title, right? Uh, but they also don't want to do that. I understand that. They don't view Jay as like, the branding figure here. They still view Roman as the branding figure. Um, so, so what's, what's the end game? And there is no end game. Uh, I, you end up, I, I like, I guess you end up liking Jay Uso more out of this, but like, as far as characters, Roman Reigns, Solo Sokoa, they're both kind of boring now, particularly Solo. And Jimmy is, what is Jimmy? You know, like, like they they did this split decision breakfast on him, where I guess he's you, you know who a Jimmy good guy is. who did a bad thing, which is like no, not, not even, not even. He's Fredo Corleone if the hit on Michael had gone through <laughs> at the house. He's he's literally that guy. He's the dope who succeeded in screwing up his entire crime family. That's what he is. I just like I I, I could not. <laughs> I and like screwing it up, that. but like screwing it up with good intentions is the funny part here. Yes, but like I wanted to, I wanted to save wanted the Corleone family. I am the helper. <laughs> I'm smart. I'm not dumb. People say I am. I need Jimmy I mean, to cut that promo. I need him to. I'm smart. <laughs> people always out here saying that I'm a dummy, but I'm not dumb. I'm not dumb. Jimmy, not dumb. My baby Jimmy's brother smart. taking care of me. I should be taking care of you. And then, and you know what they need? I, I could have been champion. I, I do a super kick just like you. My super kick's just as high. I no, stretch. no once, once Solo turns and joins his brothers, I need... I need Jimmy to go fishing <laughs> and so to put one in the back of his head while James watches the, the, the living room. fishing trip. Yes. Now a, there is a segment that could get me back on the train. Jeff I'm here for this. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, yeah. Solo solo does the Samoan spike and they just dump <laughs> Jimmy into the lake. <laughs> He's <laughs> with the fishes now. 
throws his pole in the water, and Solo just just out of his raincoat comes the thumb. <laughs> he spikes it in his and he spikes it in his throat. And they both go overboard. Yeah, inexplicably blood gushing from Jimmy. Yeah, just coming up from the water. Why not? Good God, it's your turn on this lazy river. Let, let's uh, get you know what? Let me let me ask you something, Jeff. <laughs> what the hell does Roddy Strong want a tag team title match when he's got a neck brace on? <laughs> freaking idiot why didn't Adam Cole pick me why didn't he pick me you're in a neck brace you dope it's not about friendship you're injured you idiot I was faking it this whole time yeah right I, I mean can you blame Adam Cole now, why does no one point this out <laughs> Oh, she just broke me there because no one's. I do a show on Dynamite and nobody has ever pointed this out on Twitter either. It's like, Roddy, you're hurt. Why would I want to tag yeah, comes with out you? Comes crunches is like, what is this betrayal? I can still go. Body cast in a wheelchair. Oh, I'm, you're still your friend. You can throw me on top of somebody and get a win. He, he remotes in from a hospital room <laughs> a full body cast and goes, yes. I cannot believe you do this to me, Adam. Why? 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 You're going to trust him? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's so good. Oh, and, and, and let's go to some other things that made no sense. So for the last four weeks on Ring of Honor television, we've been rehabbing Diamante into a baby face to take on Athena, who is one of the best champions in wrestling right now. And we get there and she loses her title match. And two nights later, out on collision. Heal. <laughs> Yet again, what is the point of investing any time in any storyline if we're the only turn that worked this entire week, I thought, was Shinsuke Nakamura? Because they he basically told you, I'm turning heel, I'm turning heel. Shinsuke, the professional that he is, wrestled the match he was signed to to, to wrestle. And then as soon as his obligation was over, Kinshasa kick to the face of Seth Rollins. I thought that was perfect. Other than that, these turns all sucked. <laughs> and I mean, we have talked about this a lot with regards to AEW's booking patterns. I, I, I view time and again, these, you know, hard turns face to heel, heel to face to be cop-outs, you know, subtle turns. Uh, it, I would say this is kind of true with AEW's product too, generally speaking, tend to at least have some degree of efficacy. Uh, but these on the nose, on a dime sort of turns, I don't know that they really help. Uh, it, for example, we're now several weeks into the Starks heel reboot. Uh, and, I think considering AEW's fan base and how they feel about CM Punk, that pairing him with CM Punk has been a perplexing decision. Uh, I also think that CM Punk being booked as a straight babyface also perplexing. 
and you know, bringing out Steamboat, I mean, the, the whole gimmick with Steamboat, it's like, this is the man who never broke the rules. Uh, like he lost matches because he wouldn't break rules, that sort of thing. Uh, Steamboat, uh, well, <laughs> there was one time they, they let him be a heel ref, which was ridiculous in any way, but uh, right, no, it just doesn't work. Yeah, Steamboat he's like, taking a maybe. beating at 70 was impressive, though. Oh, yeah, and I thought that they did really nice smoke and mirrors with that. So he had like the double layered shirt on, so yes, like, yes. yeah, yeah, no, no, they, 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 they did really nice smoke and mirrors with that. I, I, I actually enjoyed that a lot. It just it, it's very confusing the presentation on punk right now. I where, agree. Yeah. Where you have on one hand, Nigel on commentary and, and other things, you know, I'm straight edge and that means I'm better than you. Uh, that, that whole thing. And that feels very much, you know, preachy and, you know, condescending, but then he also is buddies with Ricky steamboat, who he comes to the aid of and, you know, fends off the, the attackers who are going after the 70 year old man at the end of the match. And he is also being juxtaposed against a guy who is supposed to be deep in a heel turn. And also that heel turn was launched against CM Punk to begin with. I I, like I and this is just one example, right? Like, why are you talking so much about Starks? It's not really about Starks. It's it's about the pattern that tends to surround these knee jerk turns. Um, It feels like it's going to go somewhere. And it doesn't. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> and, and when it does, I'll I will say that happily, uh, especially because I don't you know expect that to be coming on my WWE shows. But right now, it feels like every time we you know we flip Diamante, and so you know she went from face to heel. Is that heel turn going to do anything for her? No, no, of course not. No, nothing. And nothing. and and the thing is, it's like. Uh... It's like, okay, yeah, well, it's just ROH. Nobody watches it. Okay, so why should we care? Why you should we care it. about why anything? Why is it on then? Right. Yeah. I, when you say nobody watches it, the, the follow-up question is, why is it on? What does yes. it exist for? For whom? For what? Oh. I like people working. I'm not against people working. I, I'm pro people having jobs. But, like, you know, you need to have customers at your burger stand to justify the burger stand. Yes. I've been snarky enough. I need to praise something here. I loved FTR versus Big Bill and Brian Cage. I, I absolutely adored that match. Um, with the exception of uh, Cash needing to smarten up his mom just a little bit. <laughs> to not smile when your baby boy is getting beaten right in front of you. But other than that, I I, I love this Big Bill-Brian Cage team. It, it's the monster team that this division needs in some ways and cage has been like he annoys the hell out of me personally at times but in this role he's been very very good i'm, I'm looking forward to watching him and darby on uh i'm gonna turn on rampage after this show and hopefully that <laughs> pleases me watching him beat down darby and then darby pulling one out of his butt to win but you know, after all these years of watching cage and of course i, I i'm also on kind of the negative side of him in watching him in this tag team, I feel like he has just really missed his calling as being the power guy in a heel tag team. Yes. You have the smart guy, like, you know, the butcher and the blade. Like, 
he should be like he doesn't need to be the butcher right like the butcher is the butcher right but like he should be the big guy and then you have the smart guy who understands you know like the christopher he should, he should be the anvil in the bret hart anvil tag team absolutely yeah right no and, i agree yeah i think he's just absolutely missed his call and, and instead he dreams of being the high flyer <laughs> but no he, no he dreams of being like the mr five tool guy but he doesn't really do a promo he doesn't really have a character his matches kind of don't have a coherent flow and no company's ever gonna belt him uh like the closest he ever really got to that was the first season of lucha underground and he was a really great contender on that i thought him ripping the belt in half was an awesome spot and that is kind of what the ceiling was the single side but i i think he's got a lot a lot of tread left on the tires as a tag guy Okay, everything else for me is probably going to be negative, so it's your turn to go and just say something. <laughs> oh, boy. It's just, just my turn to just vibe it out here. Whatever um, you want to vibe on. All right. Well, I mean, we already talked about Starks here. Um, I kind of like the uh, Joe and CM Punk thing, like, but but I still find myself really perplexed week over week by the idea that MJF has just none thoughts at all about what's happening on collision. <laughs> yeah. That's this, this thing where this man on in my company on another show says that he is the real world champion. It does not even register with me. Sometimes the same show. It does MJF not even did register t- with me. Yeah, yeah. A what guy. Does that co- mean? What is yeah. the real <laughs> No, no, no. I'm too. I'm too obsessed with uh, going after the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions on the pre-show of Wembley to call oh, out fairness to MJF. <laughs> this is consistent because he's also oblivious to the fact that Roddy Strong's in a neck brace when he's <laughs> on Roddy Strong. So it might just be the case that MJF is uh, not particularly. Uh, he he is oblivious. I was gonna say whatever the opposite of oblivious is, but uh, he's just he is oblivious a little bit. Maybe that's the consistent characterization here. Oh my goodness! Is um, this strong presentation of a world champion, Jeffrey? No, no, it is not. No, no. Oh. Um, it is. It, I mean, what, it, d- d- Harley Race playing dodgeball might have been entertaining at one time. Oh God! If he was up against Bachwinkle, give that to me. <laughs> Let's go Broadway with that volleyball uh, between Bachwinkle and Racy. I, I need to I need to discuss this a little bit because I let me let me lay out this. I completely understand why they go hard into these comedy segments. People love this stuff. It is it is a very WWE type approach to the world champion and the world title program. They did this with corporate rock a bit. They, you know, it, it, it's that kind of approach thing, and it gets viewers, and it's the biggest thing on their show right now. <clears throat> now, there's people like me who watch it and go, "It's more like Public Enemy and Mikey Whipwreck doing training in ECW, where they make him go up there, grab a beer, drink it, come back down, and everybody ends up drunk." Again, I think this is a perfectly fine. Mid card, 
wacky comedy sketch. I mean, I, I loved William Regal or Stephen Regal and Bobby Eaton back in the day. Uh, yes. getting, getting Bobby Eaton acculturated, but that did not result in a Bobby Eaton World World uh, Championship program. No. Um. Yeah, and that and that's my real problem with it. I I am I am stuck on this because it's working, but it's also hurting in the it's working in the short run but hurting in the long run i think yeah it, it it's let me coin a term that we can then you know pounce on me for later here it's sugar rush booking yes like in the immediate your audience loves seeing mjf and adam cole hug it out whether it is narratively coherent or not and therein lies the problem they are so into the yuck yucks and the vibes that you you got to stop listening to them. I'm sorry. Like they're going to cheer stuff. They're going to boo stuff. You need to have faith in the story that you're telling that they're going to be there week over week. And this doesn't make Adam Cole a particularly intriguing contender for MJF's title. Uh, that That's failure number one here. Failure number two is that this does not make MJF a more interesting or formidable champion. Uh, I mean, the best case scenario coming out of this, best case scenario coming out of this, is that Adam Cole, Roddy Strong in his neck brace, and the kingdom all turn on MJF, and we make MJF a babyface. But, but a jerk babyface. Right. And then I guess that's kind of a cop-out, and this would be my point. It's a cop-out for the last several months of him being, a, you know, absolute sleazebag heel champion. Yeah. You know, it makes it renders the Danielson feud even more incoherent. Oh, well, speaking of which, because I was going to go to my next thing that I wanted to talk about. What was the point of the Daniel Garcia sports entertainer experiment? Because... You see, Jeff, turning him heel suddenly really helped for him... Well, he was always two. No, I'm not. I'm still exploring and finishing this sentence. <laughs> Please let me work. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. It helped him to explore his dance moves. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, the the uh, the outline on this show, the formatting of this show, this first hour. The, uh, I, I mean, at the mausoleum, left, were you not, were you not intrigued and, and just captivated by the Jericho appreciation society stuff? I mean, week over week, let, Christian let me... just anchors this show with dynamic character performances. Can't wait to see what this guy's going to do next. I love all this stuff with Callus. I thought 2.0 and Sammy did a good job on their short promos short as they were. Ty is always. Ty for me is fun because you know she's translating this promo into language that's her second language and then trying to get the emotional connection to catch up, but it's always three seconds behind. 
Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I'm with you. I thought that for their part 2.0's promo was entertaining, right? Yes. But this whole thing stinks. Uh, the idea that the Jericho Appreciation Society, the Goon Squad, are suddenly these really sympathetic figures just because we love a bucket hat is stupid. <laughs> I really uh, like that hat. I really like that hat, right. And, and again, more example of just out of nowhere face turning or, or out of nowhere, you know, ma- major character turning. Now we're supposed to boo-hoo these guys who have been dicks, goobers, and goofuses, respectively, for the last several months here, and at no point have really exhibited any sort of redeemable qualities, with maybe the exception of you know, with Sammy Guevara. But every time Sammy would go back to the JAS, it made no sense. And then Daniel Garcia's, you know, it after one week, uh, Daniel Garcia is ready to move on, and all the other stuff and all the appeals from the audience and everything didn't mean anything. But he got hit in the head with that baseball bat. That really spoke to him. Garcia has to end up on on Callis's team somehow, though, which will make no narrative sense. But I mean, it's the only way to redeem this character right now. But the even bigger question is, why would you start a show with this segment? This is not a hot opener. This is not a main event angle of any kind. This killed that crowd for a very short time. Let me ask you this, Jeff. Who do you think would have came up with that idea to lead off the show with (laughs) I'm guessing. If you just had to throw out a No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Let me work here. Let me work here. I will. No, go for it. I'm going through. I'm going through the suspects. And, you know, I've, I've. Sign. Uh, I got a spreadsheet here. Let me. All right. No, 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 no. Because I've been trying to work through this myself. It's been it's been gnawing at me all day. <laughs> I think it might have been Chris Jericho. You no, maybe Chris, Jer- Chris <laughs> Jericho. You say? Huh? Why do Jay? Yeah, I think he. Oh, I was asking you. I know. I was asking a question. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to putting it in the middle of hour one, maybe you start with Rob Van Dam or the ghost of Ross, Rob Van Dam versus Jungle Boy. <laughs> or the ghost of the Hardy Brothers versus Rob Van Dam match. I watched it at 1.25 speed and I still noticed it was slow. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to grade it on a curve. I get that. Yes. But following, following that hardy the dazzle, but like that Hardy's God. young bucks match where Matt is just doing his damnedest to keep up. And Jeff, Jeff's just doing whatever the hell he wants. Uh, <laughs> it was almost like the bucks took it as a challenge that we're going to carry these guys to a four star in the observer classic or something. And it just, and then I, we talked about this before the show, the build to all in stinks. Yes. They've sold the tickets. Yes. There's three weeks, whatever. This is a super show that is being built as a, as a, how would you put this Chris? Because, it's, well, it's, it's, it's forbidden door three is what it is. It's, it's, right. ju- it's just, a, a it's a super card with no build and it's, it's, and I get it. A but... really significant 
show for this company. I I, I just okay. The the people were like, well, it's a supercard. It's going to be entertaining. We'll see. Um, but but I will we'll stop real quickly and just ask the question: Is it not possible to have a quote unquote supercard that also serves as a really important historical axis for where you want the company to go for the next 12 to 15 months? Would would it not be possible to have the lead into this show, this show that you were proud enough to have Tony Khan, come on, look at us. Uh, it felt like he was coming through my TV screen, just staring a hole right through me uh, and tell us how excited he was to do this show. Could we not? have also been making it feel like this was going to be like a pivotal moment for the company, kind of you know, just like a pivotal well, AEW sort of moment. Well, WCW, if, if I may. If well, I if may I, just finish the thought here. Okay. WCW, during the NWO feud, like especially 96, 97, actually did a really good job on a number of different occasions of making mid-year shows feel like they had – major narrative weight you gotta see it it's gonna be important you need to make sure that you kind of catch what's going on here and i don't get that at all out of this wembley stadium show tony by the way i'm looking at my notes i go man i forgot to talk about that ronda rousey mma match during the SummerSlam thing that was a an abortion um But Chris, this is a big show because as Tony reminded us when when Triple H gave that gave that snarky comment in in the Cody documentary that they were a secondary company. Well, well, we're not going to be a secondary company the night of all in the single biggest night attendance wise in professional wrestling history. We're not going to we're not we're not secondary that night. We're just putting on a card where the build to matches is FTR said young bucks and young bucks says we accept I'm there and instead of punching each other. Look, I get that. It's a dream match type feel, but man, give me some heat. That's that's the thing. problem. That's the problem. Tanahashi coming out and just pointing at you. Isn't interesting. Like, Oh, okay. Wow. Young bucks. Ooh, Joe comes out, goes, you rolled me up and beat me. You know, that that shouldn't be our legacy. This is a down game on my N64. Maybe it was my PlayStation that had better narrative building than that. These are all let's steal the show type of builds. And I'm sorry, but that's so light. Dolph Ziggler. It's Shawn Michaels, Dolph Ziggler. Oh, you go on to the Discord. It's nothing but Dolph Ziggler this, Dolph Ziggler that. That's what people <laughs> want. They want to steal the show. And don't come at me at the Discord this week and tell me you're not, yo, you changed your tune now. I know we. I know what you people are like. But, but really, it, it's like, and, and of course the rumor is that uh, greatest wrestler in the world is not having a one-on-one match on this card. Uh, uh, he's getting a six-man, and we're having a few of these six-man. This is a... This is like a, I mean, and our one-on-one things aren't looking bright other than maybe Adam Cole and MJF, but man, that feel with the stipulation that they're going to be uh, wrestling on the buy-in for the ring of honor tag team titles against Aussie open. Mm. 
usually considered the one of the best tag teams in the world, but oh, the, given, this match has been incredible. Uh, they, Adam Cole came out and decided it would be neat to do something on the pre-card for a for a tag team title for a company that doesn't have real television. It would be neat. It would be cool. Yeah, neat. Uh, neato. It would be neato. Yeah, yes. it'd be neato torpedo. It'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be a hoot. It'd let's be go out there let, Yeah, let's go out there and get some tag titles. Come on, baby. And this is either going to be a hokey angle where they turn heel or they're going to win the titles. Well, I think they win the titles. Which absolutely obliterates any... I mean, no effect. I love Aussie Open. I do. I wish they they could talk or at least get some talking time on a TV show and build something and make them interesting to American audiences. You don't need that. They're the great workers. Oh, oh my God. Everyone's got commander syndrome where we think that like just doing stuff is enough. And like, yeah, you it's not, it's not, but man, they only won those things a couple weeks ago. Now, now they're going to beat them. And it's like, okay, so we can have this can they coexist thing and and to me if they win the tag titles it means that they're both trying to out heal each other in the main event and it's going to be like two Eddie Guerreros fighting each other and then they'll hug it out and then there'll be tension and they'll hug it out and there'll be tension and they'll hug it out until Cole reveals himself in the kingdom beat him i i don't know it just there's nothing. Like, Cole has to turn on him at the end of this, right? Like, yes, it has to be that. And then I, I, Goldberg I mean, comes out and kills them all. Goldberg? I think Goldberg is the answer to MJF. When, because, he, okay, you, you have not been part of the Discord, but people are discourse, but people have been going nuts about this because old Alvarez suggested that the finish to the match at some point, or when Adam Cole turns, is. Because MJF continually brings up this roll of quarter story where he gets called Jew Boy, that somebody should hit MJF with a roll of quarters to win the match. And of course, mm. people are like, well, that's anti Semitic. And so I, I, I understand the criticisms and stuff like that. But my thinking was if they go to that story and they're going to go try and get that kind of nuclear heat. Without call, without saying the words, of course, I would hope, unless unless somebody goes off script, and I hope they don't, that then MJF's answer would be a really giant Jewish man by the name of Bill Goldberg. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it would be time to call in the Jewish mafia. I think yes. that this is correct. The Hebrew hammer. Yeah, the Hebrew Bill hammer. Go Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. Yes, I'm here for this. I mean... It's certainly it's certainly amusing. Uh, it, it it's it's interesting. Uh, it, it it might be. I I mean you know I I guess what you would have to do since you're now trying to babyface Goldberg is Goldberg makes a couple of saves and like on the second or third one he gets injured or whatever he's kind of like a zero from Mega Man X something like that. I I think I think the 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 thing I mean because the rumor is that they may have Goldberg <laughs> under contract. That's the rumor. I'm not going to say that's true or not true because I don't know. But if they do, you got to baby them for these smarky AEW fans. Or, oh, he's, he's a sports entertainment type and he's always sucked and he's not a work rate guy. The best way to do that is to make him part of MJF's crew. 
but not the star. And and that to me would be the way. Um, uh, no, I, I'm going the other way. Debut him as a heel, have him defeat all four pillars, nuclear heat, upset, <laughs> upset internet, upset Twitter. He comes and he annihilates Darby Allen. He beats like, Luchasaurus and he becomes he, a new TNT champ. There we go. No, uh, yeah, but yeah, no, he he just defeats Sammy. Like Sammy tries to do some flips or something, gets speared. Jack no, Hammer. He, he beats all three members of the elite as they. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Omega tries to have a match against him. Can't even get off the blocks because Goldberg's just oh. pumping him to the corner. Oh, you're, you're going to negotiate with another company? Oh, yeah. We'll no, like he, he, yeah. he actually wins by TKO. Like, he knocks out Omega. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, the only good thing coming out of that MMA match, by the way, now that I think about it, uh, Becky drinking the lemonade to play up that she's really upset that she got a night off to spend with her kid. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed the lemonade spot, but other than that, when we look back on Ronda Rousey's wrestling career, uh, I think the the question we're all going to be asking ourselves is, what was your favorite Ronda Rousey match? Her last one. Um, uh, what was your favorite Ronda Rousey promo? None of them. Uh, but but you know, it, it's weird because you have to without Ronda Rousey, and this is truth. You probably don't have the horsewomen. You probably don't have them, quote-unquote, main-eventing WrestleMania, even though they got nervous about just having Ronda and, and Becky headlines. So they so they crowbarred old Charlotte in there, which always makes things better, is a three-way when you're trying to build an actual feud. Ay, ay, ay. I just... This, I haven't even gotten to NXT because I didn't watch it. So I can't tell you if there was anything good on there. Other yeah, than, no, I, I didn't. I didn't watch NXT okay. this week. I, I, I watched. I think we were it. lucky, but looking through the results, um, yeah, no, like let's, uh, let's like just, I guess, discourse on what we understand the results to be. Mustafa Ali versus Axiom. Like theoretically, this could be good. Yes, it's just that, like the Mustafa Ali character kind of stinks right now. And, I, the, and, and I'll, I'll go you even more better. The, the turning heel Wesley isn't much better either. Uh, we got Blair Davenport action in here. Uh, I don't need Blair Davenport. Pass. Uh, yeah, yeah, pass. Um, the Heritage Cup, now that they've neutered kind of what the Heritage Cup's all about. It's this not, is the fake Heritage Cup one, though. Yeah, right? it's just so, not nearly as interesting to me. Oh, I disagree. Uh, I kind of like the fact that Tyler Bate won a fake cup from Noam Dar, who is only catatonic. Until he believes that this fake cup is real. There's something endearing about the stupidity of that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly meta. But uh... Oh, here, here's something that happened that was great. Uh, Gable Stevenson's brother. Can't remember his name right now because... It oh, has... God, uh, Damon. Uh, Damon Kemp. Love Damon him. Kemp is now with Charlie Dempsey and, and, uh, and that crew. Oh, I'm here for that. Oh, I'm, I'm here, here for, for that. that. Yeah, yeah. No, like that, that, that is a faction that, like, please let me book them. Please yeah, and, let and, me. and the other, the other almost endearing, it was so adorable thing, is watching Rey Mysterio and his piss-poor acting skills interact with two people of his own size, Roxanne Perez and Thea Hale. I was waiting for Thea Hale to body slam him. Uh, <laughs> Ray Mysterio's acting, when I look back on his career, uh, as much as I enjoyed his matches, like, at peak era in WCW, 
for me, it's always going to be about the way that he got blinded and uh, then miraculously recovered from it. All the oh. times that he told me that Dominic is his son. My son, Dominic. <laughs> You're almost there, Thea. Give me a pep talk. And Thea is selling it like a champ, and I love her to death, as usual. She's just she's just nothing but you know, eyes being shifty and, and playing things to 11, but she's such a welcome presence. And, and it's one of the few times where she delivered a line because uh, cause Chase, Chase you the brilliance of these two jokers, come, hey, do you know who that is? That's Rey Mysterio. <laughs> Thea turns to uh to Andre Chase and goes, yeah, and he wouldn't have thrown in the towel like you. And then the entire NXT crowd, you just hear go, ooh. <laughs> it's the one decent thing about that crowd. <laughs> they buy into the Chase U storyline. And yeah. Not- I mean, here's what I will say about the NXT audience. It's sort of like a mirror universe of the AEW audience where the NXT audience is pretty well conditioned at this point to go along with whatever dreck they're being you know shoveled like they're into it yeah it it, the the before time of when this show was actually good it's a distant enough memory and there's not enough of the original generation there anymore for that to even be a point of friction anymore well, we've ticked off everybody, I think, tonight. We've uh, we've gone into oh, a no. impromptu Shake Them Ropes theater of sorts with The Godfather I, Part 2. Have we talked about the goths recently? Like, I feel like we haven't slagged on the goths, you know, with their eyeliner and their uh, you know, oh, baggy. Oh, you mean, you mean Judgment Day? No, like, just, you know, they wear their Jinko jeans and all black and stuff. What's that all about? No, we don't do social commentary on this. Show. I uh, well, you broke the rule earlier with your passionate love of fire. <laughs> I didn't tell you what I have to like about fire. I just had a yeah. You like seeing things burn. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Sad. That's like ended it. there. Uh, you can follow me at Crab Game Thirteen on X. You can follow the show at Shake the Ropes <laughs> on X. Ah. <laughs> Chris is on a different kind of X. I, I forget. Um, I forget that that's the name of that stupid website now. Like you have to call it X. Like you can't even call it Twitter anymore. Like, God. Chris is on Instagram like a middle-aged woman making videos for people and stuff. Yeah, like, you know what it does. <laughs> yeah, it gets me work. No, it, no, it expands your brand. I, 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 know, I get gigs off of this. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I completely get it. So don't, don't, don't take. I've just been snarky on that. I just thought. Yeah, because you're on X. Yeah, yeah. And, and not even the cool X. That I you wish get I were on X. Yeah, uh-huh. it makes that techno music palatable. Because I'll uh, tell you can what, can you imagine me on X? That would no. Let's not yeah. go there. Okay, the next time we go and see a wrestling show, let's roll. You want to do it? <laughs> well, Full Gear is gonna be out here in LA. Um, okay, like, all right, you, you, let's do it. I'm into it. So uh, uh, I'm on Instagram. It's Doctor yeah. Underscore Nov. Uh, follow me. Um, I will be doing gigs around the town here. I, I think I have one to announce in October. Albuquerque. Uh, uh, the town is Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah I, I guess it wouldn't be your that. town necessarily yeah. unless your town's Albuquerque. Yeah. Like if you're Jory and you're listening to the show, then like, you know, come out to the the one I'm doing in October at the, at the tram. But uh, 
for uh, you know everyone else, uh, if you want guitar lessons, you can follow me on Instagram, message me. Uh, some of you have. Uh, I, I uh, love my new students. I, I love my old students. I love all my students because I'm not trying to burn things down. No, not like me. Build Please. things up. And uh, then people like Jeff come in and they try to burn you down. But that I'm the fireman. Patreon.com slash fight game media. Five bucks a month. I'm much more well behaved on the Dynamite show. You can listen to me there. Okay. Listen, some people want to watch the world burn. I just kind of want to enjoy That's you. That burn. Yeah, it is me. Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today.